Hello and welcome to The Rabbit Hole, the Definitive Developers Podcast, live from the Boogie Down Bronx. I'm your host, Michael Nunez. My co-host today, Dave Anderson and Dirty Jurors. Oh yeah. Today we'll be talking about interfaces and design patterns. Recently we spoke about programming language Golang that Dave was really excited to work in and had gone through a lot of exercises and design patterns and interfaces. We're going to talk about that today and Dave's going to tell us his experience using interfaces and design patterns in Go. I imagine it's probably one of those languages that is like strictly enforced uses of design patterns within the programming language. Is that safe to say? I mean, I don't think you need to use design patterns. Like you can totally just write everything in one method and then call it a day. Like you could do that. The bones of my back just started to, oh God, no. I mean, you can use two objects if you want to use two objects. That's fine too. (laughs) Like, I won't judge you. (laughs) Other people Uh, may judge you. That's the problem. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like, design patterns. I remember, like, coming to the topic early on when I was getting into programming. And, you know, there's that, like, really heavy gang of four. Gang of five? No, it's gang of four. I mean, I think there's a gang of five somewhere, but that's probably a gang in the Bronx. It's in the Bronx? Okay. You got to watch that. The King of Five will cut you. Yeah, you got to watch out with the King of Five. The King of Four is design patterns. The King of Five. (laughs) Got to get it right. Off by one error. Yeah, no, it's the King of Four. (laughs) Yeah, so like you come across that big book. Do you have a copy of that somewhere? I may have read the PDF. I don't think I have a copy. Like, I'm not a real programmer. I think you got me. <laughs> I mean, you it. got that ProfTab budget. You got to spend that ProfTab yeah, budget. I got to buy this book and reread it. I mean, I read parts of it definitely on a PDF. It makes a really good like monitorizer. It has yeah. good like depth to it. Yeah. I mean, it's like written in the 90s, primarily with like Smalltalk and Java and yeah. you know, the code examples. They were hard for me to understand like when I was starting out in programming. And then like when you actually start working on an application like Ruby or Unrails or Django or something like that. There's like frameworks and patterns that are there. So like you kind of just color in the lines right. all the time. I definitely ran into all my exercises in design patterns when I was programming in Java. I see that like a lot more. Java is one of those languages where it's really strict to do things in design patterns because if you are too loosey-goosey, I think your code becomes spaghetti, if that made sense to anyone out there. (laughs) (laughs) What about for the loose spaghetti? Yeah, the loosey-goosey spaghetti, (laughs) the spaghetti. In my time in Java, interfaces are often used when you want your classes to follow a strict contract, per se. Like you have some set of methods that take some inputs and then always give some kind of output. And then my first encounter with interface was like, okay, you have an interface for the database connection and the database connection implements these methods and theoretically you could swap it out for some other database. Like I have right. a MySQL database or I think at the time I had an Oracle database. Right. You know, they had the big money. They just oh, yeah. had all the big money <laughs> in the Oracle database. But then one day maybe they're like, wait, I don't want all the big money. I just want yeah. like a MySQL or a PostgreSQL right. database because there's only 10 users for the application. Why am I doing this? Why are we doing that? <laughs> so like interfaces provide you that contract where you can swap something out in the future. Yeah, I think the examples I see on the internet, like when explaining what's an interface has to do with like, oh, if you had a shape interface that has methods called area, like you can apply a square 
and a square will calculate the area different than say a triangle but you can still ensure that when you call get area of something that is inherited or as an interface of shape then you know that you're going to get an area of that shape whatever shape that is right so the idea yeah 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 that one's also like kind of used for inheritance too but the same kind of concept applies for interfaces and right. the reason why this came up is because like with go you don't actually have inheritance you only have interfaces so oh. you got to think about it a lot like you have to use composition and interfaces in order to do the stuff you want to do right because what is it composition over inheritance that's the, the that's yeah the that's what we like i guess you don't want to couple yourself with the inheritance pattern and yeah, or like hiding complexity and things like that. But it's kind of interesting how like interfaces are differently implemented in Go or Java. Like in Java, you explicitly define the interface. So you say like, this is an interface and these are the methods that are on it. Right. But then like when you actually write something that implements those interfaces, you say, this class implements shape. Right. Then you write the shape method. In Go, it's a little different because... You explicitly define the interface, so you have like a file with an interface in it, and then when you write the code that implements the interface, you don't say that you're implementing the interface. It's like a secret. You don't actually oh, tell snap. anyone. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> but the compiler knows. You know, right. it's an interesting combination between how interfaces happen in Python, where it's like a duck interface. Mm. It walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck. Then and it's probably a duck. Probably a duck. Yeah. So yeah, there's like a lot of flexibility with that. In Ruby, there isn't a keyword that deals with interfaces. Is that something that doesn't happen in Go as well? But you kind of still follow the flow of an interface. Go is a strongly typed language, so you will define like the type that yeah. says what the interface methods are. Right. And you can use that on like an argument for a function that you have, say like if you have a shape stacker mm-hmm. and it takes a list of shapes that it's right. going to work with. It doesn't have to take a list of circles or a list of squares. It'll take a list of shapes and you know it'll only care about stacking up the areas that they have. Oh, I see. Oh, that's interesting. Um, so it'll know that they have the area method and they can work with that. Explicitly defining the interface gives you a good amount of power because like when you put a name on something then that really helps you like see the pattern or think about the pattern how it's used yes naming things are important (laughs) right (laughs) like python is just actually added something in python 3.8 where Mm. they're slowly rolling out more features in the typing module and they have a thing called protocols which is basically the same thing as the interface in Golang where you can mm. now give it a name and tell it what the structure of it is. Oh, wow. Okay. But, you know, that's a completely different story. Python 3.8. Look out for those protocols. Oh. <laughs> right. So, obviously, you use a lot of interfaces in Go that, as you mentioned before, will take a particular interface for a given class. And it doesn't have to be super strict because you can use the interface to define the things that you want to implement from that interface. But I imagine design patterns is probably something you have to visit yet again in Go. I think design patterns are like, the more strict the language is, the more likely you'll be dealing with design patterns. Is that safe to say? Because I imagine you probably ran through some in Go that was like very important or rather good to have so that the code looks more cleaner than it 
could look like if you didn't use design patterns? Yeah, I guess like particularly with testing, there's one design pattern that we kind of were already talking about before. Like there's a design pattern called strategy. Right. Where if you have two objects and both of those objects implement the same methods because they have the same interface, so the same inputs, the same outputs, but the implementation is different, then you can swap them in and out and like not worry about it. Right. And that's like super helpful for testing. Like if you have something that's going to call out to a database or like to the network, you don't want to do that maybe in your test. Like you just want to like have it happen in a fake way. Right. Using a strategy pattern can definitely help avoid having to go through much farther steps to the test where you can actually unit test that particular part of your code. Right. If if you don't have that forced on you, like in Python, then maybe you'll reach for something like patching methods or like monkey patching things so that they behave differently. Oh, man. <laughs> that meta programming stuff that you do on Ruby, that's just crazy. <laughs> right. I mean, you, you can do it, but you don't actually need to do it. Like you could use a design pattern, but yes. like maybe it's just easier for you to do some crazy meta thing. One of the design patterns that I often see in different projects is the factory pattern. Besides like the strategy, as was mentioned before, the factory pattern, you're able to take an object and apply different configurations of object depending on the input if you're working on a solid Java project, then chances are there'll be factory patterns riddled all over it to make things look as clean as possible. <laughs> it's just, just so clean. Yeah, no, I mean, it just separates all the logic of what it needs to do in the factory. And you just want the object to return exactly what it is that you need. But all the logic exists in the factory, which is nice. One of the design patterns that I see often in Java projects is definitely the factory pattern. I don't know if you had to deal with that in your go project oh totally we definitely have some factories and java you know you gotta have factories and you gotta have like abstract factories too factories oh, yeah. for your factories <laughs> exactly the bread and butter of design <laughs> patterns right here is the factory <laughs> pattern essentially you give it some input suppose you had a certain means of transport depending on whether you're transporting goods via a truck or a ship you can mm -hmm. still create those transports, but depending on your vehicle, it'll be treated differently. So right. you just give it these different inputs and it'll come back with the object necessary for you to run whatever method necessary to complete the code. And depending on what it is that you give it, it goes through this factory to figure out exactly what it needs to return. And then you'll be able to call the methods necessary. Right. So like in the simplest way, it could just be like configuring an object in a different way based upon the inputs. Like right. the same object in different ways or composing the object with different other objects or you could pair it with the strategy pattern mm -hmm. get some like peanut butter for your jelly oh yeah <laughs> the um, best sandwich ever <laughs> i think that the example of different modes of transport is a pretty good one because like maybe you have like a cargo transport factory and yeah. like you could get a vehicle that can load cargo and you know you can load cargo in the 18 wheeler or a plane or a ship or like on your bike yep the, the implementation of how you do it is different the basic idea is the same yeah another thing with interfaces and go that's pretty important to know like i mentioned before is that you don't have inheritance like they just don't allow you to do it. So you need to use composition, which 
people generally say is the way to go. Like you right. probably should just use composition instead of inheritance. Oh, um, I think the idea that's definitely an opinion that someone had when creating Golang and was like, we're doing it this way. And oh yeah. Like, <laughs> well, like Go is like a series of opinions that are just yeah. like baked into the compiler. Like you can't get around them. It's a good opinion. I definitely respect it. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the design patterns is going to help you when you're doing composition instead of inheritance is decorator. And that's basically where you have something that implements an interface and it like has something like a collaborator that influences right. that interface that it takes as a argument when you're building it. And so it will like defer to its collaborator, but also add some more behavior around that. So like a pretty good example of this pattern is in the Go standard library, you have a pretty great like HTTP library. And so this HTTP library has like a function like do for executing a request. Mm -hmm. And it has all these different parameters for like timeouts and things like that. And if you drill into the code, like there's different levels of like collaborators in this where like there's a very core thing at the very bottom that does the request. It like mm -hmm. sends the HTTP request. But above that, there may be like a timeout request that mm -hmm. its job is just to pay attention to the time, send the request, and then if too much time has passed, cancel yeah. the request and mm. go out. But it doesn't know how to send a request itself. It just has something that knows how to send the request. Uh, I see. And they have the same interface for doing it. Which is the do method. Something like that, something yeah. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but that's you, awesome. Yeah, so like that way of structuring your code, it can be pretty clean because you can like break up the functionality into like really easily testable chunks. Mm -hmm. But you also kind of get to a place where your code is like really solid, like the classic. The acronym, not like good piece, solid piece. More I mean, like I think a that, solid piece. I think that's like what they say, but. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's probably where it derived from. Yeah, they're like, it is an acronym, right? Like, oh, your code isn't solid? My code's solid. Yeah, my code is solid, bro. My code's uh -huh. always solid, bro. Even if it doesn't follow any of the solid principles, trust, bro, it's solid. <laughs> <laughs> but the important one there is like open, closed, where like it's open for extension, but closed for modification, where like basically you don't have to change the code in order to change the behavior of a mm. thing. So you can like compose it with other things to make the behavior different in a certain situation. So the open close principle is, I guess, in the solid acronym, the one that gets used the most for the decorator pattern? Right. Or yeah, in general. That's, yeah. that's the one that is most apparent for that one, I guess. I never forget the acronym of, of the solid principle. For anyone who has forgotten, the solid principle are the following. Single responsibility principle, open close principle, Liskov substitution principle, the interface segregation principle, and the dependency inversion principle. Who forgets that? Not this guy. Mm -mm, no way. Uh-uh. <laughs> nope. There's a lot of words there. It's There's a lot, a lot of, words. of words there. I think this might be a sneak peek, but we should go over each one of those solids in the future. Sure. I think, Definitely. I think we talked about it at least one time before, but I got to check my tats. Yeah, check the tats, bro. I don't know. It's probably somewhere in an awkward space like in your back that you can't touch or see. Oh, we got to check it out. <laughs> We're in the office. I'll have to ask you to turn around so I can check. Cool. Interfaces and design patterns are definitely things that you will have to use, especially when dealing with strict 
type languages, definitely use them, definitely in Java, as Dave has been mentioning throughout the podcast, we're using them in Go. If you have a favorite design pattern, I'd love to hear it. I'm <laughs> which, curious to hear which what Which design are. pattern when you get the UML yeah. for tattooed? <laughs> what design pattern describes you? <laughs> you won't is believe there, number four. <laughs> is there a BuzzFeed quiz for that? We should make one. Uh, yeah. If you have a design pattern that we may have missed, feel free to hit us up. And also like a big thanks to friend of the show, Connor Benham for drilling me on these design patterns. Oh yeah. It's like a design pattern boot camp with that guy. Oh yeah. That's uh, the strategy. That's a design pattern. This guy, <laughs> this guy uh, design patterns. Uh-huh. Well, I looked it up and there is no which design pattern are you quiz. So that's oh, something should. that, you know, we need to do. <laughs> yeah, we need to build that before we release this episode because oh, someone no. else is going to do that. So much pressure. Or we could release it so someone else could do it. Let us know if you build it. <laughs> there you go. Follow us now on Twitter at Radio Free Rabbit so we can keep the conversation going. Like what you hear? Give us a five-star review and help developers just like you find their way into the rabbit hole. And never miss an episode. Subscribe now however you listen to your favorite podcast. On behalf of our producer extraordinaire, William Jeffries, and my amazing co-host, Dave Anderson, and me, your host, Michael Nunez, thanks for listening to The Rabbit Hole.